Hello, fellow saints, and welcome back to Come Follow Me with Brother T. We're covering the book of Mosiah, chapters 18 through 24 today. And chapter 18 jumps right into talking about baptism. This is Alma. And if you remember the backstory here, Alma was Abinadi's only known convert. He escaped just before Abinadi was put to death. And the king sent out guards to actually kill Alma too, and he escaped. And Alma, after he had repented of his sins and iniquities, he says he goes about, and this is verse 1, chapter 18, he went privately among the people and began to teach the word of Abinadi. And he's preaching the same things that Abinadi preached, which is redemption through Christ, and that through his atoning sacrifice we can return to live with our Father in heaven. But we have to repent. And he he gives the same warnings as well if they do not. He gets a pretty good following, and they start to go out, and they're preaching. He, he goes to a place that they call Mormon. He's got a, got a pretty good following, and he starts talking about baptism. And in verse 8 it says, And it came to pass that he said unto them, Behold, here are the waters of Mormon, for thus were they called. And now as ye are desirous to come into the fold of God, and to be called his people, and are willing to bear one another's burdens, that they may be light. So he's talking about joining the fold of God, which of course is the church of God. And if you're willing to be called his people, so God's people or the people of Christ or Christians, the first qualification that he talks about other than repenting and having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is to bear one another's burdens that they will be light. And he goes on in verse 9, he says, Yea, and are willing to mourn with those that mourn, yea, and comfort those that stand in need of comfort and to stand as witnesses of God at all times and in all things and in all places that ye may be in, even until death, that ye may be redeemed of God and be numbered with those of the first resurrection, that ye may have eternal life. There again, he gives a few qualifiers. If you're willing to bear one another's burdens, if you're willing to mourn with those that mourn, if you're willing to be a witness for Christ at all times and in all places, even unto death, then you can be part of the first resurrection, which is included in in having eternal life. And then in verse 10, he says, Now I say unto you, if this be the desire of your hearts, what have you against being baptized in the name of the Lord? Now, why do we get baptized? He continues, As a witness before him, that if ye have entered into a covenant with him, that ye will serve him and keep his commandments, that he may pour out his spirit more abundantly upon you. Now, that sounds a lot like the sacrament prayers, of course, because the sacrament prayers are the renewing of that covenant. So, in baptism, what do we do? We are reborn and we take upon ourselves the name of Christ when we are reborn. And finally, in verse 11, he says, And now when the people had heard these words, they clapped their hands for joy and exclaimed, This is the desire of our hearts. And then Alma starts to organize the church. And it says in verse 17, And they were called the church of God or the church of Christ from that time forward. And it came to pass that whosoever was baptized by the power and authority of God was added to his church. So once they're baptized, then they become members of the church. And he continues on, and it came to pass that Alma, having authority from God, ordained priests, even one priest every fifty of their number did he ordain to preach unto them, and to teach them concerning the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And he commanded them that they should teach nothing save it were the things which he had taught them, and which had been spoken by the mouth of the holy prophets. So he organizes this church, he, he, or, he ordains priests, and he sets them over certain groups of people, and he tells them what to teach. And of course, he wants them to teach the doctrine. He wants them to stick to the doctrine. And then beyond the doctrine, or included in the doctrine, I should say, 
In verse 21, it says, And he commanded them that there should be no contention one with another, but they should look forward with one eye, having one faith and one baptism, having their hearts knit together in unity and in love one towards another. Great little section there on in terms of, of harmony within the church and getting along and remembering that we do have one faith, that there's one Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that there's one God, and that if we have faith in him and that our hearts knit together, that we will be saved. He teaches them to keep the Sabbath day holy in verse 23. He teaches them that they that the priests should labor for their own support. So there should be no priestcraft and there should be no man setting up themselves higher than another because of the work that they should work themselves. And then he also talks about being the children of God. In verse 22, he says, And thus he commanded them to preach, and thus they became the children of God. And we talked about that earlier, how Abinadi talked about being the children of God and how do you become the children of God. In verses 27 through 29, he talks about taking care of the poor. It says, And again, Alma commanded that the people of the church should impart of their substance, every one according to that which he had. If he have more abundantly, he should impart more abundantly. And of him that had but little, but little should be required. And to him that had not should be given. And thus they should impart of their substance, of their own free will and good desires towards God. And to those priests that stood in need, yea, to every needy naked soul. And this he said unto them, having been commanded of God, and they did walk uprightly before God, imparting to one another both temporally and spiritually, according to their needs and their wants. So very similar here to the words of King Benjamin, although Alma was unfamiliar with the words of King Benjamin. But similar concepts here in terms of taking care of the poor for those who need it, for those who can, receiving help for those who who need the help, and then also taking care of their wants and needs both physically or temporally and spiritually. And so he sets up this church and they're doing great and they're, they're growing. The problem is, is that King Noah finds out that something's going on. And when King Noah finds out that something's going on, he sends an army of soldiers to go out and to bring Alma and his people to justice, his justice, of course. And it, it says in verse 1 in chapter 19, And it came to pass that the army of king returned, having searched in vain for the people of the Lord. And that happens because Alma and his people were warned that Noah was coming after them, and they fled. And there were several souls. It says 450 souls uh, departed. Now, I wonder if, if some of those people got left behind, because in verse 2 of chapter 19, it says, And now, behold, the forces of the king were small, having been reduced. It doesn't say why they were reduced. But it just says they were reduced. So it makes me wonder if, if there were more converts. And then, of course, it says next, and there began to be a division among the remainder of the people. So I wonder if Alma had a little bit more influence than just the 500 so odd, some odd souls out there. And I just wonder if a lot of those people had listened to Alma and were now repenting, starting to see the wicked ways of King Noah. And that was the division. And that's why the army was reduced. That's complete and total speculation, but interesting to think about. This army of King Noah comes back. And there's a contention among these people. There's a division. And there's one man who is tired of the king. He says he's an enemy to the king. And his name is Gideon. And Gideon draws his sword and swears that he will slay the king. And he goes after the king and the king flees. And he chases him all the way up to the king's high tower. And while the king is up there, King Noah is standing on top of his tower. He sees that the Lamanites are about ready to attack. And he pleads with Gideon to leave him alone to help save his people. And of course, he doesn't care about his people one bit. 
but he wants to save his own neck, and this is this will do it. So Gideon realizes that the Lamanites are upon them, and they all flee. And King Noah commands his men to flee and leave their wives and children behind. And some of the cowards uh, do leave, and they flee. And King Noah and his priests, along with these men who flee, leave their wives and children. And the men who stick around with their wives and children send their their beautiful daughters to plead with the Lamanites for mercy. The Lamanites grant mercy as long as there will be a tribute paid to them. And then you go back to King Noah, his priests, and the, the cowards who fled. And they're in the wilderness, and they're feeling pretty ashamed of themselves. And they decide that they're going to go back and see what happened with their wives and their children. If their wives and their children have been killed, they're going to exact their revenge or die trying. King Noah tells them, no, you can't go back. And they take King Noah and, and tell him they've had enough of him, and they burn him, which fulfills the prophecy that Abinadi made that however they put Abinadi to death would be similar to what would happen to King Noah, which it was. He was burned to death. And also that his life would be worth a garment in a hot furnace, which clearly it was in a good comparison there. So they go to get the priests as well, these high priests of King Noah, but the high priests flee. And that will be important later on in the story here. And now you have these people who go back to the kingdom and they discover that their wives and children have not been slain, but that they are they were spared and that the men who, who stayed behind and the women and children who stayed behind are okay, but now they are placed into bondage, which again is what Abinadi had prophesied, that they would be put into bondage. Remember, he came by the first time and said, if you do not repent, you're going to be put into bondage. And then when he came by the second time, he says, there's no chance. So you're going to be put into bondage either way. If you repent, you won't be wiped off the face of the earth. So that was the big uh, selling point of the second time he comes around. And the people here now are led by a man named Limhi. And Limhi is actually the son of King Noah, but he's righteous. He knows about his father. He knows about his wickedness. And he himself is a righteous man. And really, King Limhi sent a group of people to go out and find his father and the high priests and the men who had fled so they could bring them back. And And while they were journeying out there, they met the men who were coming back. The men explained what happened to King Noah and the priests. So Limhi takes over as king, and they have to pay a tribute of 50% of everything that they produce to the Lamanites, everything they have and everything they produce. Now, that's the higher tax bracket, folks, right? Remember, King Noah was, was taxing them at about 20%. And now they've moved up into the 50% tax bracket. So not good times, heavily taxed. And they have peace for approximately two years. And after those two years, the Lamanites attack again. Now there's a reason why the Lamanites attack again. And this is where the priests of King Noah come into play again. It says in, in chapter 20 that there was a place in Shemlon where the daughters of the Lamanites had gathered themselves together to sing and to dance and to make themselves merry. And the priests of King Noah discover them dancing, see that they're a little bit lonely, obviously, because they left their wives and their, and their concubines behind when they fled, according to the command of King Noah. And they abduct 24 of these Lamanite daughters. And this makes the Lamanites pretty upset, and they think that the Nephites have done this and they come out in full force against the Nephites. The problem is that the Nephites are apprised of this, and they meet them in battle, and they actually repel them back in battle. And while they're doing so, 
the king of the Lamanites is wounded and faints, and he is taken prisoner. Now, Limhi's people wanted to kill this king, but Limhi talked to him and said, why did you attack? And explained that, that 24 of their daughters were missing. And Limhi sent a, was going to send a proclamation to the rest of the of his people saying, whoever did this is going to be slain. But Gideon, being the smart one, says, you know what? This is not our people. This is the wicked priests of your father. And so they, they quell the Lamanites. In fact, they, the Lamanites are about ready to come back to battle in, in greater numbers even. And they send the king of the Lamanites out there to plead for them. He says, no, we're not going to attack this time. This is not them. And everything is quelled. And everything goes back to, to normal. Not great. They're in bondage. They're paying 50% taxes. Uh, but they have their lives. But it's about this time too, a little bit later, that the Lamanites start to exercise their authority over the Nephites. They start to smite them on their cheeks. They start to put heavy burdens on them. In fact, in verse 3 it says, Now they durst not slay them because of the oath which their king had made unto Limhi. But they would smite them on their cheeks and exercise authority over them and began to put heavy burdens upon their backs and drive them as they would a dumb ass. And that's also in fulfillment of Abinadi's prophecy that if they didn't repent, they would be driven like wild beasts, right? Or like tame beasts. Now you have these people who are under a lot of pressure and being abused and taxed very highly. And they decide that they're going to go out and they're going to fight for their freedom. So they do. They, they pick up their weapons of war and they go out against the Lamanites. And they go out and they are decimated. So many of them slain and they go back with their tails between their legs and they're angry about their loss. And so they go out again and they get wiped out again. They, they lose pretty badly. And they so they go out a third time. And this third time, they don't have enough. And then they're beaten again. And after that, it says here, And, he, and now there was a great mourning and lamentation among the people of Limhi, the widow mourning for her husband, the son and the daughter mourning for their father, and the brothers for their brethren. Now there were a great many widows in the land, for they did cry mightily from day to day, for a great fear of the Lamanites had come upon them. And after this third battle, it says in verse 13, And they did humble themselves even to the dust, subjecting themselves to the yoke of bondage, submitting themselves to be smitten, and to be driven to and fro and burdened according to the desires of their enemies. And they did humble themselves even in the depths of humility. And they did cry mightily to God, Yea, even all the day long did they cry unto their God that he would deliver them out of their afflictions. So here they're starting to repent. And remember that, and the consequence that Abinadi had prophesied if they did not repent would be that they would be wiped off the face of the earth. And they're start, that's starting to happen right now. So they do repent. They humble themselves. They cry unto God. But it says, just like Abinadi prophesied in verse 15, And now the Lord was slow to hear their cry because of their iniquities. Nevertheless, the Lord did hear their cries and began to soften the hearts of the Lamanites, that they began to ease their burdens, yet the Lord did not see fit to deliver them out of bondage. With that, they submit to the Lamanites, they submit to the Lord, and the Lord begins to ease their burdens a little bit. And it says here in verse 16, And it came to pass that they began to prosper by degrees in the land and began to raise more grain. And it came to pass that they began to prosper by degrees in the land and began to raise grain more abundantly, and flocks and herds. 
that they did not suffer with hunger. So the Lord here is, is helping them. He's blessing them. He's creating a greater crop so that they can pay and still feed all the widows that are there. It was about this time that Ammon, remember we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, Ammon shows up and it says here, it explains here that King Limhi actually thought that Ammon was one of the priests of his father along with his companions there. And that's why he was treated so roughly when he showed up. But when Ammon eventually reveals himself as someone from Zarahemla there to help, they come up with this plan. And in chapter 22, it talks about how the guards in the back of the kingdom get drunk at night. So they give them a little bit more and then they make their escape out the back door. And they go to the land of Zarahemla and they're received. And it's, it's great rejoicing because they also they have those records of the Jaredites that can be translated by King Mosiah and all is well. Now let's compare the people of King Limhi to what happened to Alma and his people. Now Alma and his people had fled several days into the wilderness, having been warned of King Noah. And they established a place called Helam. And Helam, interestingly enough, was the first person that we have on record that Alma baptized. And we're assuming it is the very first person because then he baptized himself after that. And then he, he does it again and again and again, but he doesn't baptize himself each time. And they set up a nice little kingdom of their own. I call it a kingdom, but they, they wanted no king. In fact, Alma was adamant that they have no king. And it says that in verse 6 that they were desirous to have a king because they loved Alma. But in verse 7 he says, But he said unto them, Behold, it is not expedient that we should have a king. For thus saith the Lord, Ye shall not esteem one flesh above another, or one man shall not think himself above another. Therefore I say unto you, It is not expedient that ye should have a king. Nevertheless, if it were possible that you could always be, have just men to be your kings, it would be well with you to have a king. But of course, that can't be assured. So no kings for, for these people here, uh, at least for now. And they establish a great little land. And Alma is their leader and he has these priests and he organizes the church in such a way that everyone is taken care of and taking care of each other. But of course, they cannot escape the prophecy of Abinadi. They didn't repent the first time, remember. And so what happens is, is that when the Lamanite army was going after the people of King Limhi, once they were discovered, they were lost in the wilderness for many days. And they came across the people of Alma. They told the people of Alma, that if they showed them the way to where King Limhi and his people had escaped, which is assumedly the land of Zarahemla, that they would leave them alone. Uh, but here you have the uh, Darth Vader situation in Empire Strikes Back, where he basically, the king of the Lamanite, tells him that uh, they've altered the deal and pray they don't alter it anymore. So now you have Alma and his people, and they are placed into bondage by the Lamanites. Now, when these the Lamanites were out and about looking for the people of King Limhi, they also discovered the priests of Noah and their daughters that had been taken, the 24 daughters. And clearly their 24 daughters had uh, undergone some Stockholm Syndrome. And they plead for the lives of these men that, that have taken them captive and, have, and are, have been abducted by. And they're impressed by them. King The king of the Lamanites is impressed by these men who are led by a man named Amulon who was one of the, the high priests of King Noah. And he, in fact, is so impressed that he puts Amulon over the people of Alma. And actually, Amulon does pretty good things for the Lamanites. He teaches them the, the language of the Nephites. And he also teaches them a lot of things that help them to be a more civilized people. 
But he's not very nice to Elma. Remember, he knows Elma. Elma was a high priest as well. And he commands the people that they cannot pray. Of course, which is ridiculous that they can't pray because they can always pray in their minds. But he starts to exercise authority and he puts taskmasters over them. Now compare this with the people of King Limhi, who when their exercise when the Lamanites started to exercise authority over them, they rebelled, they fought, and they lost their lives. And they were they didn't repent, remember, at first until later. And then once they repented, the Lord blessed them and they were able to bear their burdens until they were eventually able to escape. But the Lord was slow to hear that. And it says in verse 12, And Alma and his people did not raise their voices to the Lord their God, but did pour out their hearts to him. And he did know the thoughts of their hearts. Verse 13, And it came to pass that the voice of the Lord came to them in their afflictions, saying, Lift up your heads and be of good comfort. For I know of the covenant which ye have made unto me, and I will covenant with my people and deliver them out of bondage. So he's promising to deliver them, but he's not yet. It says in verse 14, And I will also ease the burdens which are put upon your shoulders, that even you cannot feel them upon your backs, even while you are in bondage. And this will I do, that ye may stand as witnesses for me hereafter, and that ye may know of a surety that I, the Lord God, do visit my people in their afflictions. So these burdens that are placed upon them become lighter, and they are able to bear them easily. In verse 15 it says, And now it came to pass that the burdens which were laid upon Alma and his brethren were made light. Yea, the Lord did strengthen them, that they could bear up their burdens with ease, and they did submit cheerfully and with patience to all the will of the Lord. And when I read that verse, especially this, the last part, that submitted cheerfully, and I have to confess that when I read that last part in verse 15, I felt a need to repent. Because while we've been sheltering in place, and I feel like our rights have been infringed upon, I have not been that great at submitting cheerfully nor have I used much patience. So now, if you look at the people of Alma and you compare them with the people of Limhi, I was being more like the people of Limhi. I am ready. I was ready to to fight in vain uh, for my what I feel was a very great injustice when I was called upon to submit cheerfully with patience and let the Lord battle it. Obviously, we are not in severe bondage. Uh, we, we do still have a lot of freedoms and rights. But when those things are threatened, the, the gut reaction is to fight tooth and nail against that. But I think it is apropos to what we are going through in that we have messages from our prophet talking about praying and fasting and being patient and taking the seriousness of the pandemic, being serious about the effects of the pandemic, but being also global citizens and not rocking the boat too much. And I'm sure there's a good reason for that, even if my gut reaction is to go grab a pitchfork and and make sure our governor and our other leaders who seem to be usurping too much authority, making sure that they are in check uh, by force if need be. Of course, Alma and his people have this ability to withstand these burdens that are placed upon them. And they're prosperous and they're working hard and they're doing great. And after a time, the Lord tells Alma that they are going to be free of their burdens. And he tells them that in the, in the morning, the Lord will cause a deep sleep. This is verse 19. 
to come upon the Lamanites, yea, all their taskmasters were in a profound sleep. And Alma and his people gather their, their families and their flocks and their herds, and they depart into the wilderness, and they pitch their tents for a time until the Lord says, nope, you're, you need to get up, get going, the Lamanites are after you. And they return back to the land of Zarahemla. And the Nephites are once again all together. And you have Alma, who is a very prominent church leader, and he combines with King Mosiah. And the several chapters after this will talk about their ministry and the ministry of their children. Brothers and sisters, I hope that as we go about our day, we can submit cheerfully, that we can remember the covenants that we've made at baptism, that we can look for ways to ease other people's burdens. And it's interesting here because we are the Lord's hands. And if we are called upon to bear one another's burdens, the other place you hear in these chapters about burdens is that the Lamanites have put burdens upon the Nephites. What do we do? What how do we ease those burdens of other people? Well, we serve even when our burdens are heavy. If we serve other people, then the Lord can make our burdens light. We can cast our burdens upon them. I know that if we do that, and if we mourn with those that mourn, we comfort those that stand in need of comfort. And if we stand as witnesses of God in all things and in all places, that we will eventually be set free and receive eternal life. And I know that to be true, and I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening, and as always, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, you can reach me at Dr. Jared Thomas. That's D-R-J-A-R-E-D-T-H-O-M-A-S at gmail.com. Or text me at 916-412-2136. Thanks, and have a blessed day.